On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, Lauren Lieberman joins me for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. We are going to be chatting about Omer Cotter wanting the chance to visit his sister by himself. Is that a good idea? Ontario, offering buyouts to people. That does sound like a good idea, is it? We're going to chat about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We are going to chat about killers, Canadian killers getting soft treatment in our prisons and the most wonderful, delicious smelling Christmas thing ever. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. In the studio here, where it is warm and toasty by the fire, Lauren Lieberman, Hamilton Media, longtime Hamilton Media personality, music guy, all kinds of different things that he's done, joins us on the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. Thanks for coming in. Scott, my pleasure to be here. And you know, I say we're sitting by the fire, uh, unless there's something... Unless something goes terribly wrong, we don't actually have a fire in the studio. There is no fireplace. You won't let me smoke in here. Uh, that's that's well, I would. Well, well I, I'm not a big fan. I'll be honest, but nonetheless, right. I I wouldn't put up a big fight. But no, but if you do have a fireplace at home, and I don't mean one of the gas ones. We have a gas fireplace. You can't do much with that. You flick a switch. If you have a real fireplace, I want to tell you about something that I came across that is a legit thing. I thought at first this was a joke. Not a joke. Sadly, not available in Canada because I went to buy one today and I found out I could not order one. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yes, I saw this. Yes, yes. Is now selling <laughs> fire logs that smell like fried chicken when yes. you light them and burn them in your house. Is that not the greatest thing ever? Theoretically, Scott, you do not need a fireplace. Well, I suppose you could you know, put stones around and make a fire pit right. in your living room the smoke might do some damage to your upholstery and draperies. Um, but nonetheless, this is this is an idea. I could absolutely enjoy having a fireplace going with the crackling scent of fried chicken wafting through the house. This would be good. I I raise chickens. Um, for the, I do. <laughs> okay. I, I do. Um, and I love they my... don't Until you cook them, though, they don't smell like this. Well, so now and then... Um, an intruder might get into the coop. Actually, we had an attack uh, in in the late summer from a family of mink. Oh. And they got a couple of my girls. And I have quite the um, oversized fire pit. And that is, I don't want the dogs to get around the, the birds. And I give them the old uh, cremation. And it, I don't want to sound like a weirdo, but it smells pretty good. Yeah, well. And I'm sad that one of my girls got killed by a mink. But nonetheless... Uh, um, but fr- imagine now doing this in your house chicken is, with yeah. 11 herbs and spices. Well, right. I suppose my girl's undressed is more of a Swiss chalet smell than a KFC smell. But, but you yeah. don't put them on a rotisserie grill over the fire. I you just not. dump them in. Yes. But this, see, I, yes. I, I have not been, and I, I'm probably about to, where I might have been able with the last two minutes to lure KFC into being a sponsor, I'm probably going to lose that right here. The last time I was at Kentucky Fried Chicken was probably six or seven years ago when they brought out the Double Down, Mm because I wanted to try the Double Down. Sure. And at that time, I described it by saying, my mouth after eating that, it was so salty that it felt like, you you know when you go to the dentist's office and they spray the water to rinse your mouth out? It felt like they had done that with salt water and had glazed my mouth with salt. It was so salty. That was the last time I've been. Delicious. But cooking a fire log smelling like Amazing. chicken, I am all over this one. If I could have got one, and I tried, it was, it, you, it's only in the States. You so you need it. a U.S. Uh, P.O. box. 
but I think it said here they're sold out already. They oh. sold out instantly. I mean, there's only so much chicken they can produce, I guess, and rub onto logs. I'm not really <laughs> sure how you. <laughs> I'm not, not really sure how you infuse the log with the chicken smell. Anybody out there in Radioland, if you're driving uh, to Buffalo, please have a look. Please for pick a up KFC, and and truly, don't just get for Scott. Get for me oh, too. Oh, get a bunch. Fill yeah, your car please. with them. Yeah, they're 19 bucks, so they're they're not cheap. Okay. I, mean, I don't know what a fire log normally costs. I haven't bought one uh, ever. But Scott and I would appreciate it. We will we will set up. I don't know if the fire department would like it. We'll set up right outside the front door of 900 CHML and light a KFC bonfire and, you know, welcome people in. I'm in. Have some hot chocolate. 100% I'm in. It, it does make me think, though, there has got to be a market for other fire logs with other scents. I mean, if you can do it with fried chicken, baked bread, chocolate sure. chip cookies. And I mean, look, I know we have candles I know we have candles because my house is overrun with candles with various and sundry scents from the forest and whatever else. There's only so many candles. Candles aren't going to do the same thing as a crackling fried chicken. Do you remember? Oh, when, on a suckling pig? Sure. When City TV used to run the, the scratch and sniff movies. I remember Mad did that. Mad Magazine had a movie one time that had a in the theaters that had a scratch and sniff. Um, it, City used to do that in conjunction with Max Milk. You would go in and get your. Hope it was wasn't with one of their Blue movies. No, 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 certainly not. But but Blue enough. Um, Divine was the star of one. Ah, uh, well. Yeah. Okay. A different color blue. Yes. I am. I, I am thinking that there is a company out there that should be looking at this, saying this is a fantastic yes. idea. Yes. And there's got to be one in Canada. If someone in Canada doesn't have to be KFC, steal the idea. If KFC can't sell them in Canada, surely someone here can infuse a log with chicken juice. Because I don't want to gather up the rest of my girls and go door to door and throw them in your fireplace. <laughs> <That> would, <laughs> as delicious as it smells. Uh, that probably is not a good idea. Anyway, <laughs> if you go down to the States, yes, feel free. I'll pay you 19 bucks. You come home with one of these. I will hand deliver. I'll give you a 20 and you can keep the change. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Omar Cotter is back in the news. $10.5 million richer, accused, well, pleaded guilty terrorist, although now he says that he didn't do it. Held in Guantanamo Bay. Our government gave him a settlement with conditions. These conditions were you can't talk to your sister who has spoken in favor of Al-Qaeda before. And well, he could speak to her, but he had to have someone there, his lawyer or some government person, okay. uh, some other things. He is now asking for more freedoms, wants to talk to his family, wants to have freedom to deal with them, wants to go on a pilgrimage to Mecca, those kind of things. The pilgrimage to Mecca doesn't bother me because as a Muslim, I understand that that is part of their tradition. And so I'm, that part I can wrap my head around. The fact that his sister has been a vocal supporter of Al-Qaeda and based on his background, based on the fact that we heard that he had been someone brainwashed into doing what he did, that it wasn't really his responsibility. Is it me? I like to think I'm a reasonably understanding, reasonably compassionate person, but it seems like this guy is trying to push every button of every Canadian and make us crazy. No, not every Canadian. A lot of Canadians. old stock Canadians are offended by this kind of stuff. Is that your tongue pushing right through your cheek? Perhaps. I say we give Mr. Cotter whatever it is he wants as long as he gives the money back because we had a deal and now we don't have a deal. Well, but 
except he's our, he's saying, well, I'm going through the proper channels. He hasn't broken the deal. He's asking to expand the deal. Absolutely. So give me back the money and we can start negotiations from the beginning. Well, that's not going to happen. You know that's not going to happen. That's kind of how it works. Once we had a deal, you took the money, a deal's a deal. You don't like the deal. Give me back my tax dollars. He, uh, his comment was that, uh, let me just find the quote here. When I initially asked for bail, I didn't expect it to take this long, he said. My sentence sort of initially should have ended this past October, but here I am. To me, and again, I'm trying to be understanding about this and compassionate as much as I can, although I really had a problem with the settlement at the start. To me, if I'm Omer Cotter and I got 10 and a half million bucks, I am sitting in my living room and living my life and doing everything humanly possible to stay out of the news to stay out yes. of the news i am doing everything possible to make sure that my name fa- fades away from recognition and that i do nothing that draws attention because i know that there is a vast number of vast percentage of canadians who think this is absolutely dead wrong and yet here we are and it's not even that long Here's the, I mean, it's not like 10 years has gone by. It's not like an enormous amount of time has gone and he now says, look, I, I've, it's been a decade. It's been 15 years, it's been 20 years and I've been a model citizen. It's been what, two years, mm-hmm. maybe? I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. And my fear is that he's going to get everything he asked for. I, I, I absolutely believe that he will get everything he asked for. Um. Perhaps it's a violation of his human rights preventing him from uh, speaking to his sister. But he's not prevented from speaking to his sister. He's prevented from speaking to his sister alone where no one else can be listening in to hear what is being said. And when you consider she's been an an, an ardent supporter, apparently, of Al-Qaeda, and he's a guy who's been convicted, pleaded guilty to terrorism, that doesn't seem like it's a very promising match to say, yeah, go ahead, have whatever conversations you want by yourself. He's, he, by his, by his admission, if he was being brainwashed, he is someone who is susceptible to suggestion. Well, he was young then. Uh, fair enough. Um, and fair now enough. he knows exactly what he's doing. Would we have someone, leaving this one aside for a second, we're going to come right back to it. If someone had been brainwashed as a child in a cult, yes. for example, yes. would we say... Oh, you know what? When you become 30, we're going to let you go hang out with all those cultists again because there's no chance that any of those things are going to recapture any, get any kind of traction in your brain. I'm not sure. I don't know how it works, but I would be, I would be concerned about that. Right. So why dance with the devil? If you don't have, if if those thoughts have been in your head before, why are we going to try and allow them or maybe allow them to be triggered again? So it's super offensive that you compare a... Um, Islamic militant with a cult member. I'm not saying they're the same thing. I'm using the example of, he says he was brainwashed. He says that was what happened. And I'm saying there are cults that we, that have been, we've heard over the years have used brainwashing. That's all I'm saying. It's the, could something in your head, if you talk to someone who hits certain trigger buttons, could that cause you to start thinking that way again? I don't know, but I don't want to take that chance. Regretfully, I agree with everything you're saying, Scott. This has been a terrible situation since the first one in the news. Um, As much as our prime minister explained that the government didn't give him the money that the courts did, 
I would like uh, to hear from our Prime Minister again to tell us why it is the family should be not only reunified um, fully, but reunified under privacy, and why it's good for all of Canada. I think that's a hugely important thing, but we, through our charter, and look, there are so many good things about our charter, but through our charter, we seem to have lost the ability to look at the goodness, what's good for everybody compared to what's good for the individual. In this case, that's a problem, I think. Scott, I think it's important to understand why it is he got paid. Why did the Canadian court system pay Omer Cotter? So I'm asking you. Be, well, because of the allegations of torture that he got in Guantanamo Bay. And did Canada or the Canadian penal system torture him? No, but we didn't go to his rescue and get him out of there, right? That's the, essentially, I don't, to the best of my knowledge, there were no Canadians that laid hands on him in that system. Correct. Correct. And there are Canadians all over the world, theoretically and in reality, um, who get into trouble and end up being incarcerated. Do we owe them money? The, he didn't get, my point is he didn't get $10.5 million for a wrongful conviction on the Canadian court system. This isn't um, one of those cases of which... It's not like Paul Moran. Right, or the Saskatchewan guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Think of his name in a second. I know his name you're talking about. Yes, the farmer. And, and like, I get that. <clears throat> Why didn't the American government pay him? If they, as you know as well as I do, that there was no chance the American government was going to pay him, and they would have fought it through to the Supreme Court. I would expect. So, so has Canada set a precedent that we are responsible for the transgressions of Americans? I, none of this made any sense to me then or now. I know I'm asking no, no. goofy questions. No, it, it's a, it's completely is, fair, and it, it, it's completely fair. And I think you are expressing the view of. I still believe a vast majority of Canadians, regardless of, of... But Scott, I'm not sure Canadians even understand why we paid him. We didn't do anything to him. So if you had a, a Canadian civilian who goes to North Korea on a trip... Yes. ...and gets arrested and put into hard labor camp, yes. and Canada does not extract that person or doesn't go to the ends of the earth to extract that yes. person... And he didn't have a good time... Incarcerated. No, North no. The, okay. yes. uh, we, I mean, we know what happened with that uh, that that young man in the um, uh, well, no, the, for, in North Korea who was brought back oh, to the United States yes. a few years ago, yes. and he was basically dead when he arrived, and he yes. eventually did die. We know hard labor camps in North Korea or other places so are we've set a legal precedent. Would we be expected to pay that person? I don't know. Ask our prime minister. But even if, and, and that uh, that was offensive to an awful lot of people, there are those who would yell and scream and say, no, he was tortured and Canada did not go out of its way to get him back. Uh, fine. But that was offensive to a lot of people. But as I said off the top, knowing that, knowing that, and I'm not him, obviously, I would go underground. I would go out of the limelight. I would do, I would just right. say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm... I'll take my 10 and a half million, thank my lucky stars that I got that because there's a lot of people who don't and be done with it rather than going back into the public. I don't get it. And it, to me, it seems as though it has the feeling of sticking a finger in the eye of the Canadian public and, and he doesn't care that he's doing it. That's the thing. It, it's, it's, there's, it doesn't seem as though there is a sense 
that maybe I should be counting my blessings and say, you know, let's leave well enough alone. I did okay here. And that's where it comes to the question you started. It's the good of the entire country. And we're not seeing, maybe we will see the good of the entire country defended here, but that's not what this, that's what, that's not what this is looking like right now. David Milgard is who I David Milgard. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Who, who, who killed his severely disabled daughter as a, what he described as a mercy killing. Right. And uh, yeah, so no, I, I, if we have a situation where you have a difficult time in any country looking out for the betterment of the country against the right of an individual, I understand there are cases, it, it, it's a challenging thing is all I'm saying. And maybe if it was me or if it was you who was the individual, we'd say, no, of course I should have my rights. And I don't want to abandon the rights of the individual. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes you have to look at this, I think, and say, we're talking about terrorism here. G- pleaded guilty to terrorism. Now he denies he's, he did it now. This is this is one that I just uh, if he gets this, I think people are going to lose their minds again. And then what's the next request? That's that's yeah. that's all I'm wondering on this one. It's uh, but yes, I um, we got an email by the way from KG agreeing with you. Once you got your ten million, you agreed to the terms. Right. You don't like the terms? We can start over again. Hand the money back. Let's give it back. Yeah, yes. and we'll do it again. Okay, we'll give you $52, and you can talk to your sister all you want. Perfect. You can actually live over there, but we're Great. not going to allow you back. I, that, it doesn't have any bearing on legal or uh, religion or wrongful convictions or torture. It's just an honorable way to make a deal. That one seems nice and simple. It, it it does to me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lauren, we heard this week through various reports that the Ontario government facing a massive deficit, which may have gone higher since Doug Ford took office or not. We're not really, it sounds like that's what they're saying, but nonetheless, wh- whoever pumped this up, it's a huge deficit, a massive debt that we're facing has said, you know what? We said we're not going to fire people, so we're going to offer buyouts. We're going to offer voluntary departure packages. If you are a Ontario public service worker, we're going to give you some money to go away. We're not forcing you out. Mm-hmm. We're not sending you home without anything. Is this the right way to deal with some of the problems of the seemingly overstuffing, overstaffing of the government right now? Get rid of some of them by choice and go from there. So the objection to the voluntary um, buyouts is if you're not replacing the jobs, you're weakening the unions. Well, and also you are diminishing the service and so people are going to die. Now, you know, that's always, you're you're cutting back on medical, people are going to die. You're cutting back on social services, people are going to die. You're cutting back on food programs, people are going to die. Anytime you cut a single job from the public service, people die. Okay. I'm just telling you, that Um, is the fallback. That's the default position. If you cut library staff, people die. Well, maybe not library staff. Die of ignorance. Die of ignorance. Yes. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not prepared to accept the, uh, the death excuse across (laughs) the board. Um, certainly I wouldn't want, uh, everybody in the emergency room at your local hospital to uh, accept a buyout and 
not be able to attend. There are absolutely some vital people at the front lines of our um, medical and social services. Um, but to suggest that there isn't some fat to trim in uh, in government goes without saying. And it is a far cry from slashing jobs um, by doing it this way. it's I think it's a wonderful compromise of what is needed and considering what is promised. I absolutely agree. I mean, I think this is, if you're not going to fire people, and I've never argued for layoffs or for gutting things, I think we have to cut back, but I've never once suggested that we should be going to look for people to lop off. But if you've got people who are willing to step away or leave to go into the private sector, although it seems to be happening less and less, it's always the other way. But if you've got people willing to step away or retiring, mm-hmm. just allow it to atrophy a bit. Not not to atrophy down to the point where it's starved, but let's, let's let some of the fat just drip away by itself. That, that seems to me to be a very logical, very reasonable explanation. Uh, Smokey Thomas, who's the Ontario Public Service Employees Union. Let me guess, before you read it? Yes. Not a fan of this. Uh, shockingly, no. Oh. Here's a quote. I'm just quite concerned they're going to keep cutting programs and keep cutting the front line by attrition. And I tell you, the front line of government has been cut to the bone. According to the unions, and I'm, I'm a union member, but according to Smokey Thomas... Our government frontline work, our government public services is so lean right now that there is nobody you can cut without doing damage to the service. And I think he is right in some very specific examples. Let Let me run some numbers by you, which I looked up yesterday to see how lean we are. Yes. Ontario public service right now, there are 60,000 government workers in Ontario. Public provincial workers. They work for the provincial government. 60,000. All these numbers are rounded off, by the way, but 60,000. Not including politicians. All right. Just, and they make a few bucks. We're not, no one's talking about cutting them. The federal government, according to StatsCan in 2018, there are 274,000 people in this country who work for the federal government on top of the 60 Ontario and however many you can do across the rest of the country and the provinces. We have no idea how many people work for municipal governments, but Hamilton has close to 7,000 full-time workers. And if you go up to part-time and seasonal, it's almost 8,000 workers. Toronto has 36,000. Start doing the math about how many people in this province are working at various levels of government. And tell me there is no fat to be trimmed. And again, we're not arguing by cutting, by attrition by yes. bias. You tell me there is no fat to be found in those services. That's a crock. And everybody knows that's a crock. And if you have ever worked in the private sector and you've seen what people are able to do in the private sector compared to public sector, where oftentimes you have two or three or four people doing the same job, I can tell you there is fat to be cut. There is lots of fat to be cut. You're very quiet. I don't know how. So it's offered across the board and you are in the hospital and you want to make sure there's nurses. I don't know how the government is supposed to go, okay, your job, whether there's fat or not, your job is important. 
Um, whereas you in the background, you doing irrelevant stuff, you, it's hard to make that distinction. I have worked where they have offered buyouts before, and the company always reserves the right to say, no, you can't take it. But before we carry on with this, no one is arguing that there is zero value in the public service. Nobody's arguing that. All I think a lot of people are saying is, if there are however, X hundred thousand people across this country and whittle that down, let's say a hundred thousand people roughly in Ontario working in the public sector, we could probably do with 80,000. I mean, I'm sure we can shave off some somewhere, not by firings, not by layoffs, by them deciding to leave and we can plug the gaps. It's happened everywhere in the private sector. The people have had to do more with less. I don't see any reason why it couldn't happen in the public sector the same way. I'm sure we could still have a government operational with fewer people. If it's attrition to the right people. Yes. Yes. And so before the break, I was going to say that the example of this that always sticks with me was back in 2014, McMaster made it to the Vanier Cup and I had to go to Montreal to cover it. Not a lot of people covering that the one day I was there. There was myself, there was somebody from the Montreal Gazette, and there were a bunch of other people. There were two cameramen, two sound men, two producers, and two reporters, all from CBC, one complete unit of English language CBC, one complete unit of French language CBC. And I'm looking at that time thinking, wait a second, CHCH, if they go, their reporter does the camera work themselves. Mm-hmm. So they have one person, not eight. And a camera doesn't translate. So when this person speaks French or English, the microphone and the camera, you could have taken the, sh- the footage and allowed the different... Re- you could have had two different reporters, one French, one English, right. but a cameraman, if you needed a sound man, only CBC needs sound men or women. But you could have cut this by half at least... But at least by half, and that to me is when I look at some of this stuff and I go, and if that's indicative of anything in certain areas of the public service, there's lots of places to trim back and be just as good, just as effective, just as useful. We don't need to have all these, and that's just one example. But if that's indicative, then I'm saying there's lots of room. Smokey Thomas, I'm sorry, the public sector has not been cut to the bone. The private sector is being cut to the bone. The public sector is... It has spots that has plenty of flap. What else do you expect from Smokey Thomas beyond consistency? I understand that, but I'm simply suggesting this to me is a very laudable, very useful, very good idea that we've got this huge deficit, huge debt. Here's a relatively painless way to deal with some of this. Why are we fighting everything? Why do we have to fight every idea? Because... I know, I know it's a rhetorical question. Is Donald Trump of the North and he's the devil and But the, when Bob Ray every, tried to do something, he was the devil. Well now it was different. I know it was the Ray Days, it was a different thing. That that to me, for a union person, that should be the Ray Days would have been way more offensive than this. Well it was pretty offensive. I know the it was didn't I know. enjoy that. They yeah. hated it. But I'm saying given a choice now. If you're, if you're a realist in any way, you say, we've got too much debt. We've got too much deficit. We've got to do something. Here's our idea that's going to be painless to you. Why would you not say, 
yeah, that seems like a better idea than a month from now them coming back and saying we got to fire everybody because the union and union leadership is not responsible to, for the betterment of Ontario. They are responsible for the betterment of themselves, their union, and their membership. But the what end. happens if in a month, as I say, the government says we tried to do the buyout thing, you wouldn't accept it. Well, we have no choice now. We have to do layoffs. How is that helping anyone? That, that to me, you right now, this seems like the, the, the example, the way to do this that is of the least. There's going to be some pain. Lauren, there's going to be. We have a province that is swimming in debt. There is going to be some pain. And I don't think that you can realistically position every single cut of every single thing as an attack on something. There are some things that are poorly chosen cuts, yes. I grant you. But not every cut is an attack on somebody or something. But that's what, how it's positioned. So we have to make some cuts somewhere. This to me seems like a humane, fair, decent way to do it. Do you remember when Hudak said he would eliminate 100,000 jobs? I, I do. And then clarified that no one would be fired and it would be all But it was attrition. too late because you had set it up front. You hadn't, he, right. he spoke poorly in his first impression, count for something. He spoke very poorly. And the way he said it, Sounded like it was going to be a hundred thousand job cuts. Mm. Initially, the way it initially, was reported, it came across. Okay, well, fair. To, it came across as a hundred thousand people are going to be cut. I think that's how it came across, whether it was reporting or whether it was semantics. Yeah. But the reality was, as he did clarify, but by that point, it was too. And late. all these years later, that is still a really solid plan, as long as we're careful on which hundred thousand those are. If I was leading a public sector union right now, and clearly I'm not, <laughs> this is something that I would be applauding, understanding what the finances of the province are right now. I don't think anybody on, no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, can't see that our province has financial problems. This is what happens with your union all the time. People don't get fired at the spec, do they? Don't they get offered packages and then not replaced and we get more? I'm sure that, I'm sure that both have happened. I, I generally don't keep track of the comings and goings of everybody. I'm sure both have happened. All I don't right. know. Um, I'm trying to make the point of, no, is I, it different when it's in your immediate world? That's I'm sure it is. But I know that there have been buyouts at the spec, at other media, at all kinds of other places. And you know what? Way better that than for them just to come in and with a scythe and say, yes. I'm sorry, we had no buyouts. So you, 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 and you, or you're gone. Let me choose. If I want to go and I can save someone's job, seems like a better plan to me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now, Lauren, you are a guy who over the years has done a bunch of stuff in the music biz. You were the man who ran Festival of Friends. You're even wearing a shirt that says Festival of Friends. It looks like it's from about 1981, (laughs) the font. But So this week we found out who was going in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. Janet Jackson, The Cure. Wasn't the lead singer of The Cure from Burlington? No. Or Hamilton? No, that's Cult. The cult. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you. So Janet Jackson, The Cure, Def Leppard, Stevie Nicks, Radiohead, Roxy Music, and The Zombies. Good class? Uh, you okay with the class? Anybody there jump out as a, as a horrendous choice or a great choice? I don't, I don't love it. I don't love some of those choices. 
Um, Stevie Nicks is already in via Fleetwood Mac. Yes. There's a lot of people who are in more than once. Sure. I think all the Beatles are in more than once. Yeah, but that makes sense if you have a significant solo career or... I know, but when they put Ringo Starr in by himself, I thought, okay, here's that where That all-star band show is pretty good. Uh, I saw him once ma- many years ago. I prefer Wings to the Beatles all day long. Come on. I'm kidding. I was going to say. Wings is a legit super group. No, no. Wings was, they yes. had a lot of songs. They had a lot of songs. So <coughs> that's, that's who's going in. But as is always the case with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who's not getting in, right? A, yes. An organization that for how many years fought against putting Rush in, which everybody who listens to the show with any regularity understands was the worst move ever to uh, keep Rush out. They were they should have been the first band ever put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Why are you saying that? Because it's true. But anyway, here's who is not in yet. We're going to go through a quick How list. do you have Rush in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before ELP, before Yes? Well, let's go through some of King these. Crimson. That are, How is that possible? So here's a list. Now, this is not my list. This is a list that's that um, <coughs> consequenceofsound.net okay. online magazine has come up with of people who were not in. Yep. I'll let you answer. Yes, should be in or no, I'm okay with them being on the outside and still waiting. Warren Zevon. Borderline. Fair enough. Werewolves of London would be his most famous song probably for most people. Depeche Mode. Well, we're just starting to put in all of the new wave 80s bands. Um, They would have to be at the front of that line right up there with the cure and the Smiths and that kind of stuff. They but sold, I didn't realize this. They have sold more than a hundred million records. Sure. Depeche Mode sold over a hundred million records. That's they just sold out the HCC, the, the ACC last year. Sold out show, 20,000 people. They are described as arguably the most popular and influential electronic outfit ever. All right. I mean, yeah. certainly if you were a I, child of the eighties, you, you knew Depeche Mode. Those bands now they're, they're. Absolutely at the top of the list. Nick Drake. Not a chance. And I'm a fan. See, I'm not, not even sure I know who Nick Drake is. Um, which I, if you're a Nick Drake fan, I apologize. It's probably really obvious, but it, it's not a name that comes to the front of my mind. Do, what, is there something that you could tell me that he would be obviously known for? Oh, I went to Nick Cave. Nick Drake. Nick Drake. Yeah. I don't know. This is not Drake's dad, by the way. No. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we've got a, a head scratch on sure. that one. Iron Maiden. Uh, yes. Among the hard rock yes. bands of the 70s yes. and 80s, I would think they should be... Certainly. Now, by the way, there is a possibility that it, one or two of these that we're mentioning got s- slipped in while I wasn't paying attention in the last year, but I don't think so. I think no, all of no, these, no. as of this, this, uh, this piece was written... Uh, when was this one published? This was published uh, three days ago. So no, all of these are still on the outside. Uh, Pat Benatar, who in this picture that comes with this wow. story is wearing what looks to be the skinned hide of a purple leopard or yes. tiger. Yes. It's quite an outfit. Pat Benatar. How about Pat Benatar for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I wouldn't vote for her. Sold a lot of records. Sold a lot of records. A lot of records, yeah. Uh, Hit me with your best shot. Love is a battlefield. We belong. 30 million records. I mean, Mm -hmm. after you've talked about Depeche Mode selling 100 million, Pat Benatar sounds like an amateur, but 30 million records is nothing to sneeze at. It's more records than you and I have sold. Combined, in fact. It is more records than you and I have sold. Although, give us time. As soon as we figure out our genre, our wheelhouse. 
you and I, maybe just like singing Jazzmenko, ba- bass heavy Gregorian chants. No, it's Jazzmenko. Jazzmenko, F- freewheel and jazz with a flamenco backbeat. Oh, uh, that's you that's know what? If are. there's one thing I'm thinking, most people think of when they think of you and I, it's flamenco. <laughs> flamingo, yes. Yeah, not flamingo, right, flamenco. No, I'm thinking Gregorian chants with like a hip hop beat in the background. It's been done. Has it? Yeah. New order. Right, s- same idea. Yeah, Depeche Mode. Uh, sure, all of that. The Pixies. No. No. Again, no. I know the Pixies. I know no. the name. No. I'm struggling to think of a Pixies song. See, to me. If you're going into any Hall of Fame, unless it's a specific, a very niche Hall of Fame that only people of that in, of in that level of interest or that area of interest would, but Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's really the music Hall of Fame, first of all, popular music right. Hall of Fame. It's, it's not really the ro- genre of rock and roll, absolutely. But if you are doing a popular music Hall of Fame, and I'm not someone who has locked myself in my room and not listen to any music since 1980. I've, right. I mean, I listen, if, if, if the average person can't easily name at least one of your songs, probably well, to me, that's like, that's a cue. Uh, no, I disagree because <coughs> it's not the hall of fame of commercial success. It's the hall of fame of music importance. Okay. I can, there are some people who have not necessarily had huge solo or band careers, but the way the style of music has been very influential. That. I, th- I'll give you that one for sure. But the Pixies, I'm not sure too, how too many bands are saying, yeah, we modeled ourselves after the right. Pixies and yet I still can't name one of their songs. So I rule them out. Devo. Yes. You would put Devo in? D-E-V-O. Are we, are not, we not men? men? <laughs> no, we are Devo. Um, again, the whole new wave era is coming up for, and I think it's weird that The Cure went in first. Yeah. To some of these bands who would be their seniors. Yes. Nine Inch Nails. Uh, no, thank you. No, I no. can do. I can way tell you. too early. If in fact they, well, the, yeah. Um, I don't like that industrial thing. You know what I love about Nine Inch Nails? Not what they did. I like what Johnny Cash did with their song "Hurt." Johnny Cash made their song way better than they made their song. But Johnny Cash makes everything better. Well, at times, Sonic Youth. Nope. Who apparently in this picture? Are, well, I don't know who that. Not yet. Not yet. That's. Uh, oh wait, got to go to page two. Because there are still some seminal, important, bedrock, foundational acts who are not there. Brian Eno. 100% yes. Who has a very strong... But Brian Eno will go in this year with Roxy Music. Well, that's true. And he looks, if you watch the show Lost, he no. looks like John, um, oh, what's his name? Who, who, who Say that again? John Locke? Is John that Locke, he? yes. Sorry, John Locke, the guy from Lost. He looks just like John Locke. Um, Hamilton Connection on Brian Eno. He certainly recorded some Did important he? albums here in the day. Yeah, With Daniel Lanois? Yeah. Or at least at Grant Avenue. And Kate Bush. Again, we're really coming up on a lot of 80s stuff here, so maybe. But she wouldn't be first. She wouldn't be top tier 80s. No. Bjork. No. I would I would no. argue against Bjork. No. I would argue that even if Bjork is influential, I would still say no. Her fashion sense comes before her music. And Bjork to me is a modern day Yoko Ono. Mm. And I would never put Yoko Ono in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is this the American Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because my understanding is Bjork is certainly a 
much bigger recording artist in Europe. Well, Europe has also had legalized marijuana for a lot longer, so that may explain a few things. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to wear my swan dress tomorrow. T-Rex. Yes. Uh, Bang a gong. You mentioned the Smiths. The Smiths are on this list of not being in yet. Yes, sorry, T-Rex. Yeah, bang a gong. I was trying to think. Uh, The Smiths, Kraftwerk. I have never heard of Kraftwerk. Really? Not that I know of. Maybe Now, I may know songs. Yeah. Kraftwerk to me sounds like a ride at Wonderland in the medieval times segment. So Kraftwerk would be the godfather of the new wave 80s sound, very much so. Kraftwerk, Joy Division, that level of band, I think needs to go in before the Cure and the Kate Bushes and the... And the Devos and yeah, no Kraftwerk, yes. The if photo, you're going to start. The photo they have applied to the Kraftwerk thing here, they all, they look like the male background singers for Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love. Mm, they kind of had a Sprocket vibe. If you remember. <laughs> now is the time on Sprocket's Vendor yes, Dance? Yes. All right. Very much so. <laughs> uh, John Coltrane. Yes. I would have guaranteed How is he not in already? It. Yes. And again, maybe not for his music per se or his hits, but so many artists talk about John Coltrane as being a guy that is someone they've modeled, they've, they've imitated, they've emulated all those things. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how that, that's a name that even, I just don't get it. Joy Division. Same as Kraftwerk. Yeah. Whitney Houston. How is, now I, it is called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but as we've said, it's not really rock and roll. It is the pop music yes. Hall of Fame. And if that's the case, how in the world is Whitney Houston not in? Yeah, because whether understand. you love her or she's don't love her. She's a different level of of uh, recording success of anyone you have mentioned thus far on this list. And not only recording success, because there are people who record and for whatever reason, they they get enormous popularity, but they can't really sing to save There's their life. There's a voice there too. She has an amazing voice. She's had enormous success. She was wildly popular. That one to me just yeah. seems like, it almost seems to me sometimes the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame intentionally snubs someone to generate conversation. Well, how long do you, what's the rules? How long do you have to be out of the NHL to uh, get in here? Uh, she and, ha- or dead she or. She has been snubbed for 10 straight years. Wow. That's, that's weird. Yeah. So it's like the, and again, I go to Rush with this one personal thing. It, no. It's like they were trying to create, because they knew there were no. people under no. the surface who were screaming no. and yelling. Rush is the next generation from all those bands I mentioned. Is King Crimson? Yes. And Emerson, Lake, and Palmer in? So how can Rush be in? That would be like putting The Cure in before Devo, Kraftwerk, and Joy Division. It doesn't make any sense. All right, last one on the list. This is no Outcast. No. How is he even on the list? No. And how is he number one ahead of Whitney Houston? No. No. See, no. this is this is the this is the thing with these these halls of fame. Iron Maiden for sure. Iron Maiden, yes, but yeah, I don't know. It's a. Um, I do believe the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame intentionally snubs people at times, though. I do. I really. It's a conspiracy theory, and I've just this week we talked about conspiracy theories and how I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But this generates buzz and makes people get upset and gets them talking, and they tune in next year to get upset again, and and eventually they will as soon as they have someone else who can be the new snubby. To keep the embers glowing. Rush, come on. There has been no band in the history of time, including the Beatles, Rolling Stones, and Aretha Franklin, that can even hold Rush's kimonos from that album jacket. (laughs) 
And Rush only started wearing kimonos because John Anderson of Yes was wearing one. We'll take a break while I regain my composure here now that Rush is being insulted. This is not allowed on this show. <laughs> I'll I like Rush, a, but... We'll take a break. Back with Lauren Lieberman after this. Reason. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I don't get enraged easily. This one enraged me. CTV News has a report out that one in four convicted murderers in Canada are serving their time in minimum security prisons. Now, according to this story, and I'm basing it on the reporting that they've done, a murder, a murder conviction is a specific conviction. It's not a manslaughter yes. where it's an accidental death. Mm-hmm. There is intent involved here. Mm-hmm. One in four convicted murderers are serving time in minimum security prisons, open concept communal style institutions that lack traditional wired fences with armed guards is the lead of this story. We've been down this road now twice with the uh, Tory Stafford killers, both for the, the men and the, and, uh, Terry Lynn McClintock. How do we, how is this difficult? How is this a difficult thing in any way for our correction system to understand that if you commit murder, the specific conviction of murder, you stay in a prison? Well, that's not the rule. And murderers do go, um, to a higher level, mid or maximum level and earn the privilege of, over time, um, having a less harsh environment to deal with. That is my understanding of how that goes. You don't start doing uh, your murder sentence at, uh, at summer camp, um, but eventually... Well, I, when, I did, when did Tory Stafford get killed? Three, four years ago? Five years ago? Maybe. maybe more. But it's only got to be two or three years since the conviction. Yeah. And yet we know, as I say about Terry Lynn McClintock was moved to that Aboriginal healing lodge before being moved back. And Michael Rafferty apparently is in, has been transferred and is in one of those medium or minimum security prisons. This, though the rights, the, the work to earn the privileges, if you want to use that as a, as a carrot at the end of a stick for hardened criminals to behave in prison and not give the guards a bad time. Right. Okay, but come on, two years, two and a half, three years, surely there is more expected than that. So it is my understanding that the Canadian uh, penitentiaries and, and, and what we have is all absolutely lovely compared to um, the American experience. And I think we as Canadians prefer it that way. Yes, on occasion... There is a specific heinous crime that we want somebody to suffer, but across the board, we as Canadians do not want terrible gulags or the scene from from Midnight Express yes, to be the uh, no one wants their tongue bit off, right? In jail. Like that's not what we want for our. But convicted. do we want? Do you believe that we want people to suffer, or that we want people simply to pay some kind of? Price. I think there can be a difference in how we interpret that. Well, don't kid yourself. Minimum security still has the wrong kind of bars. Okay. You still lack freedom um, without, it may not be as terrible as Omar Cotter's experience, 
um, tying it all back around. But uh, it's no joke to be in minimum security either. Our, our criminal justice system, for good reason, even though it sometimes is very frustrating, for good reason, the victim is, it's not the convicted or the accused versus the victim in criminal justice. It's no. the accused versus the state. Society, you have yes. you have committed a crime against the state. Yes. There happens to be a victim involved. Yes. And so we don't, for good, as I say, for good reason, you don't, tr- you can't balance off, oh, the victim died, therefore you must die. We don't do that in this country. That's not how we... Sure, but we, we as Canadians are a year or two away from having a whole lot more restorative justice, okay, and all of that kind of... And I don't think that that's what most people want. I think most people still want... They don't want torture. They don't want people... I don't know that... I don't know the percentage of people who want capital punishment, but they want you to pay for your crime if you do something horrible. They don't want you in two years to get a pat on the back and off to the cottage. I mean, even if it's a prison cottage. They want you behind bar... Lauren, I, I, again, we're not talking about break and enter or stealing. I mean, we're talking about the worst crimes, and that's all we're talking about today. If you, we, and when I talk, even murder, what's the name of the guy? I just mentioned it yesterday on the show, and I can't remember it now, in the Brampton area who was driving drunk and killed the three kids and the grandfather. You know who I'm talking I about. I do. Um, Muzo. And came out and wants parole. Marco Muzo. Yeah, and wants parole or probation a year and a half, two years, whatever it is. Sure. And why was he denied? Because it was such a tragic, well-reported story. Agreed. But the fact that he even was allowed in this short, that's shortly, process. this quickly, I know, but this, that's the problem. This in Canada, quickly, you do one third of your sentence unless you're a dummy and don't behave. But this isn't even one third. He got 10 years and it's less than two years and he's eligible for day parole. And my point is, first of all, I would love it. And I don't know, I don't know, I honestly don't know the answer. And I would love, I, I should probably get a lawyer or someone on here one time to answer this question because I don't know the answer. If you're going to do one third of your sentence, why don't we actually have the sentence be the sentence? So instead of, instead of manslaughter be 10 years, it's three years. And let's just call the sentence what it is as right. opposed and to playing semantics. And then if you semantics. misbehave, you get extra time? No. Do it that way? Well, no, well if, you, if you commit a crime in prison, but I'm saying if we're saying that a 10-year sentence is really a three-year sentence. Well, let's just say it's a three-year sentence then. Why are we Why are we playing with semantics? Is it because we seem to be more willing to buy it if it, we make it sound longer, even though it's not going to be that long? Let's be honest with what we're giving people. That's my, and I don't know why we don't do that. I don't. And and if you misbehave, then yeah, sure, you could have stuff added on. We'll, we'll prison penalty time, whatever. But I look at a thing like this. If I'm... Even though the victim is not in a competition in a weird way with the accused, if I'm Tori Stafford's parents and they were on, her dad was on with Scott Thompson this week. Everywhere. I am, as he is, and justifiably, I believe, enraged and upset and frustrated. My daughter was tortured and killed. And raped. And all the stuff. Everything. Everything. It 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 was as bad as you're going to have happen. And we're talking two, three, four years, maybe four. I don't think it's four years. I don't think we're nearly that far. And he's in a cottage and she's in a cottage. Come on. Come on. I'm not saying we rip their limbs off and I'm not saying we do Braveheart and 
tie them to horses that rip you apart. And I'm not saying we do capital punishment, but surely if you d- make the decision to commit those kind of crimes, the expectation is you're going to be doing some hard time. You can't blame the criminal for taking advantage of the no, system. No, 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 100%. 100%. Right. I am not bl- I'm saying the system is an ass in this case. The system needs to be made so that when you are one of our worst criminals, which I believe murder ranks, if you are convicted of that. It would have to be up there, yes. You you don't have the same benefits, the same leeways as everybody else. You just don't. That, that It just seems so logical to me. I don't know how we can't figure this out. We've been, When Carla Homolka was in a cottage prison, I mean, Carla Homolka, it, it, it just well, she it wasn't makes, a convicted murderer. She pleaded guilty to aiding and abetting. We have a system that clearly needs some guidance to say if you do certain things, no. you don't earn special privileges, no. or at least it takes you a lot longer to get those privileges. With the exception of the criminals we can name. We are a kinder, gentler society, and we don't want our criminals to do the super hard time. We don't. Because if we wanted that, we would elect different people, and we would have that. And again, I'm not talking about Silence of the Lambs prisons here, where it's in the dank basement of a prison. Yeah, yeah, thank you, with a Chianti and a nice, uh, and some fava beans. beans. Hello, Clarice. Uh, That's very good. Thank you. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, if you are in a penitentiary, if you mm-hmm. are in a, and our penitentiaries are pretty nice, relatively speaking. We're not talking about it, as you said before, we're not talking about a Turkish prison or something in North Korea. Our sure. penitentiaries are pretty nice. You're going to be safe. You're going to be in your prison cell. You're going to be looked after. You're going to be fed. You're probably going to have a computer or TV or something. We're not putting you most of, we've gotten rid of most of solitary confinement now. Surely though, if you have done this kind of crime, a penitentiary situation for you for a reasonable period of time, which is more than two or three years is to me very reasonable. Well, then you should be a judge, Scott. That's not the way it is in this country. Well, it's not the judges. They're only following the laws that the politicians put in. I just, and the, and the, the system, the people who administer the system, I just, I just don't get it. I just don't, because it seems like whenever this stuff comes up, and you know this as well as I do, people are outraged by this. There's clearly a public appetite to have at least the worst case criminals do their time. There seems to be anyway. Maybe I'm missing it, I, but I, I see that they're... Do a talk radio topic on this and open the phone lines. I could do it right now. We'd have all the phone lines light up. People want to believe that if you commit a horrible crime, you will pay some kind of penalty for that. I agree. I I just don't know what the solution is. And we don't want that universally. We don't want that proportionally assigned out that way. And there are all kinds of murders that we don't know about, right? Murderers, yeah. Quiet stories. Quieter. Quieter. For sure. For sure there are. There could, well, I was going to say there could be a lot of people who have done heinous, heinous, heinous things we've never heard of. I think that by and large, the ones that, are that bad, we we hear that the media covers them. But there are, you're right, there are murderers that we've never heard their names before. For sure. And we don't, we don't have a hue and cry to keep them locked up forever in less than ideal circumstance. So does the victim in this case, or the family of the victim, should they have, 
no say in this? Because again, it's not they're, they're not the they're not the they're the victim, but they're not the victim. It's a weird thing we right. have with our system. Should they have no say? Because the other part about this that we found out in the last few weeks is that uh, Tory Stafford's father has consistently said this stuff is happening without me ever knowing about it. I right. find out about it through the media. Right. So a victim's impact statement would be how the victim was impacted. And, you know, if he is out on parole and how I would be traumatized, but it's a pretty tough to connect the dots on. I need the guy who hurt my loved one to feel more pain because that's what it comes down to. I understand it. I support that notion, but that's a hard way of, you know, I'm sorry, uh, your honor, as the father of the victim, I find his bed too soft and I'm not making light of this. No, no. It's totally legit. Let, let that bastard sleep on rocks all day long, but that's not how our system works. But just a second, we got to go to a break, but when you say that's not how our system works, is that not exactly how our civil system works that I could sue you. All right. You could go to jail for something. You get out. You've had, I'm not allowed to say, I want you to suffer, but I sue you then. And I can get punitive damages that could cripple you that you'd have to pay me for the rest of your life. Well, that's, that's going out. That's punitive. Sure. That's punitive. That's called punitive damages. I can get punitive damages from you, which is making you suffer. Now it's financial. It's not physical. Yes. But we do have a system that allows for that. Yes and no. Um, you get punitive damages collected if they're collectible, right? So, um, but we can always collect punitive damages in the penitentiary system. You're there. We can we can collect from you potentially. It is it is one that I'm I'm I am very thankful. Going back, how long ago was it? Two months, a month and a half that Paul Bernardo had his parole hearing. Yes. Very thankful that the parole board was wise enough to say, come on, not happening. Of course. The flip side is there's a part of me that almost wishes they toyed with that idea for just five minutes because that just would have- Just to build it all up. That yes. would have, not to build up, but that would have changed some politicians' minds very rapidly. If there was a chance Paul Bernardo was getting out of prison, something would have changed in the parole system. We would have done something. It's called the criminal justice system, not the victim's that's, justice That's system. right. That's right. And it's a very complicated thing, but I don't think people have a great appetite for the bleeding heart stuff or the, I don't even know if it's the right wording. They do. We are a bleeding heart country as long as we can't put a face on the bad guy. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.